Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. It's kind of like Forrest Gump. You remember Forrest Gump? He said, life is like a box of chocolates. And why? Because you never know what you're going to get. Is that right? Well, the last two months around West Hill Baptist Church, when you come on Sunday, you never know what you're going to get. No chairs, no pews, chairs, carpet, no carpet, or no carpet, and then carpet. And, uh, and then Pastor Aaron's uh, not able to be back today either. Now, I have not heard a report. Do you have an updated report? They're doing great. Um, so I don't know if they'll be able to be back and released for this coming Sunday, but, but we just hope and pray that they, they will be, and we'll just take a week at a time and see how it goes. But they are doing great, he and Lisa and, uh, uh, Lisa and their family. <clears throat> Let me bring you up to date on my wife, Gail. Uh, she had hip surgery just over a week ago. And she came home last Saturday, had it on Friday, came home Saturday, and she's had a, she's had a good week. She's, everything has gone great with her healing, and, and uh, she's getting around. Uh, I'm the one running up and down all the stairs all the time. But I'm happy to do it because she's looked after me and waited on me for years, 48 years now. So um, <clears throat> we're blessed, and I'm really blessed. Well, we want to look uh, back at Acts chapter 16. So if you want to go there, either in a Bible or your electronic device or ever how, or it will be on the screen, you'll be able to see. Now, let's just um, review just a little bit. In chapter 16 of Acts, where are Paul and Silas? Where are they? Well, they left Antioch in Syria, and they headed to the, the last church that they had visited, or forward church that they had visited in order, on the first missionary journey, in order to get back and strengthen them, bring back and be able to teach more and preach more and visit each one and they would put people into place as leaders and various things. So Paul and Silas uh, were in uh, Lystra first and then Derby, And that's where we ended when Pastor David finished last week as he handled so aptly the first five verses. They were in Lystra. And what we find was that, well, why? But we say, why were they there? Or what were they doing? I said that they strengthened the churches in going back, but they had shared the gospel with people who had never really heard of the gospel. Many uh, who were Jews had heard all of the Old Testament and the Old Testament stories. And many of these Gentile cities, they had large Jewish uh, constituencies. They had synagogues, and Paul always went there first. And then, as almost always, they rejected him. And uh, when they did that, he went to the Gentiles and shared the good news of the gospel with them. So they also, while they were there, they were joining God in his fulfilling his great purpose. What is God's great purpose? Well, when it comes to the earth that he created and the people that he put on this earth, it boils down to God wanting a large family. Now, my house is full on Christmas because we have our three children, their spouses, and 15 grandchildren all in the place at once. So we have a large family gathering and it's a lot of fun but I can say this it is very very noisy 
Do you know God wants a big family? Because he has a big house that he's preparing for his, his family, for his children. And therefore, he has made it possible for there to be many people born to populate the earth. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing he told Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? With, with people. And that was given to Noah also when God brought judgment upon the earth and it was only Noah, only eight people, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their, and their wives. And he gave them the same directive again, and that is be fruitful and multiply and refill the earth with people. Well, as it is often the case, People don't always want to seek after God. They don't want to follow God. And because they don't, and God gives them free will, he lets them make choices. And many of those choices aren't always very good choices. So they turn away from God or they never come to God. And it came to a point where God says, I'm going to let all these other nations go. And I'm going to concentrate on Israel. I'm going to concentrate on Abraham and his children, his sons and grandsons and, and all the way down through the, the ages. And Israel then will bear the one that was promised to Adam and Eve after they had sinned, that he was going to bring one, one of their prodigy, one of their children, way down the line. They didn't know how far. They thought it was going to be immediately, but it wasn't going to bring a son who would be a deliverer, who would bring the people, all the straying people back to God, making it possible for salvation, for him to extend righteousness to them. And by faith, trusting in that righteousness that the Messiah would bring his own son who would die on a cross for our sins, for their sins. And thus, pull everyone back, and at that point, he would then send out the disciples, his followers, from then on, that point forward, to all the nations of the earth. And when we get to Revelation, we discover that there are people there from every tribe and every nation and every tongue that are, have been won to Christ through the efforts, starting with the Jewish people. And moving forth. And though that, so when we say, what are Paul and Silas doing in Lystra and Derby? Well, what they're doing there is they are helping to fulfill the great purpose of God, and that is to reach people with the good news. And what is the good news, or what is the gospel? It is good news, it's good news about Jesus about his coming, about his death, his resurrection, and by putting faith in him and trusting in him, we can have eternal life and be given the right to be called sons of God, children of God. That's why they were there. They were doing what God had chosen for his children to do, is to bring other children into the faith. Joining him in the Great Commission. Now, what's the Great Commission? Well, we find it just before he ascended back to heaven, Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, or ethne means peoples and people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to deserve all the things that I've taught you. So that's why they were there. And the next reason was to fulfill the great commandment. These two sums up all the commandments of the Old Testament. Love the Lord thy God, the great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. So love God and then love people and take the gospel to them. Share the gospel with them. So that's why they were there. That's why they had left their places of, of, of residence or where they had found themselves and were on this great adventure 
with God to wherever they would lead them. So they were uh, to take the good news to the Gentiles. Paul was the main disciple with his calling to the Gentiles. But all the 12, all the 11 disciples wound up going to different nations anyway, except maybe one or so. I think they all did. And uh, they were uh, taking a bright light, a bright light of the love of God and the life of God into these very uh, dark areas where there was a lot of darkness and there was worship of many, many gods and, there, and the people were not free in their spirits. And the truth, uh, the truth about God and his nature and how they should worship him was not known to them. They had been deceived and imprisoned by the gods of this world and the world where they lived. But light was coming into darkness. And Jesus says that the light will drive out the darkness. And so they were taking the truth of the gospel, the light of God into these dark places. And the truth that would overcome the lies and the deceptions. But you know, this does not happen without a fight on the part of the darkness. On the part of those uh, beings, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, authorities in heavenly places. He's talking about spirit beings who are opposed to their creator and demonic forces that are here on the earth. We don't see them, but we certainly can see the effects of what they're doing and the effects they're having on people. And the way that they pull them away from God through their, what they bring to them in the putting thoughts and things into their minds. You know, God can put thoughts into your mind. And there's many times when I know that God placed something there. He caused me to think about this. He called me to, to recognize it. And I'll show you a little bit later in this passage uh, that going on in their life. But so can... Uh, So can the devil, so can demonic forces, these powers and principalities. They can lead us astray by various ways. Jesus went up on the mountain there and out in the wilderness, and he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil spoke to him. Well, he leads us by temptation away as well. So let's see what happens with this collision in a sense of the forces of evil and darkness with the gospel of truth and light. Let's take a look at that. So we'll start off with Acts chapter 16. We'll look at verse 6. But we find that in Lystra, where they were, that uh, there was a young man there named Timothy. Pastor David had talked about this last week. Paul had found him to be of outstanding character and he wanted him to come and travel with them, with with he and Silas, uh, and be a helper. So they brought Timothy with them. So these three left there and went to another Antioch in Cilicia and then on up into some other cities. So beginning with verse 6, and it says they went through the region of Phrygia, and Galatia. Now, Galatia, you've heard of many, many times because the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote uh, was the city as well as the area, was the area in which there are many cities that this letter got passed around to. So I don't know that there was a city named Galatia, but there was many cities in, the, in that province of Galatia. And they, it says they having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in this word in Asia. When we hear the word Asia, we think of China. We think of Japan. We think of the Asiatic Sea and all of the, in the South Sea, all the islands over there. That's all Asia. No, Asia comes as far west as this modern day Turkey of where they were. And there was a province called Asia, and actually it was further west from where they were in Lystra. 
So it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, to speak the word of God in Asia. Now God is directing them. He has his own reasons of where he wants them to go. So they want to go into Asia. Well, why don't we go into Asia? But being led by the Spirit, they, I'm sure they made it a matter of prayer. Is, Lord, where do you want us to go next? Should we head in this direction or this direction? I mean, the whole world is out there. No one's heard the gospel, uh, the good news that we're going to share with them. So which, what's going to be effective? Well, it looks like they had a plan of going to the largest cities along the trade routes where the gospel, once it settled into one large city, even if it were small church, could be effective in, in reaching some of the folks who were just coming into town for a night or two and then headed on. So it was a strategy. But which city? And it says they wanted to go, started to go, or praying about going into Asia, but the Spirit forbade them. They were being led by the Spirit. Now, how the Spirit did that, I don't know. I don't know if he just impressed upon their mind. I'm just not feeling good about going to Asia. I don't feel that that's where God's leading us. Or if there was a door of some type that was closed, a barrier that was placed before them in which they couldn't go any further. I don't know what it was, but the spirit was leading and that's how he led them. And we look at verse seven. And when they had come up to Mysia, now that's another province, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Now, just a minute, we'll stick a map up and uh, says, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into Bithynia either. They wanted to go this way. That didn't work. Or he said no. And then they went a little further and then they wanted to go up. Well, should we go into Bithynia? No. Can we see the map? Go into Bithynia. If you have followed that red line on the top there, you'll see Mythia, Mysia in gray letters, uh, dark uh, black letters. You see right above the red line, Bithynia, right in the center of the map. And uh, th that red line, that's where they're going. That's, that's traces uh, Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey all the way back uh, to Jerusalem and then back up to Antioch again, which was kind of their home base. So you can look at that map and you can identify some of the places then that I'll read in the next verses. Uh, we'll come back to the map in just a second. And he says... And in a vision, well, he says, so they passed by Mysia and they went on to Troas. Troas was over on the coast. Um, now, my dad told me once when I was learning to get my driver's license, he said, uh, if you want to steer like you're sitting still and you need to go real left, like in a parking lot. He said, let the car start to move just a little bit. Uh, and as you start moving in the right direction, then you can go a little bit faster and turn more until. Because it's very difficult to turn a wheel when it is sitting still. And you know, when we are sitting on our couch doing nothing and praying, God, what's your will? What's your will? Maybe we ought to be up doing something for God. And in doing something, he's able to steer us much easier if we are already got a little bit of movement. I've seen where someone has on a maybe a, a new, uh, not asphalt, but uh, cement parking lot where someone had just sat still and cranked their wheel around all the way from maybe straight to left or right. And when they drove away, it left a tire mark right there in the cement, which means that it wore off some of the tread more than normal uh, because they didn't start to move a little. It's so hard to move something that is totally stopped. They call that momentum. When it stopped, it takes more force to get it going. So let's get moving. And it says, and in a vision... And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia. Can you put this map back up again if you could get to it? 
we'll see Troas. Troas is way out over on the, right up against the uh, sea. It's in gray letters. Look like a little V shape there of the red line. And then Macedonia is the big province over in Greece that you can see right in the upper left. They want to head over to Macedonia. He says that there was this man who appeared to him. You can go back now to the verses. And it says, uh, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The first two times, the Spirit led them uh, maybe with, through their mind or through hindrance. But this time was much more important maybe. But at least he wanted Paul to have a different impression. And we find that he had a vision. Not a dream, but a vision. It's something, maybe he was in a dreamlike state. But he saw this man clearly. And he said, from Macedonia, he knew that. He said, come over and help us. And so it says that they sought then having seen this vision, to go over. Visions were very common in New Testament times. Uh, Peter had visions. Paul had visions. Um, Ananias, who went to Paul after he had, was blinded when he became a believer, had a vision and was told exactly where he was and what to do. And... Uh, Cornelius was given a vision to, to tell to, to go up and find Peter at a certain house in Joppa on a street called Straight. No, that was Paul. But to go up there and bring Peter down so that uh, he could come to his house and share the gospel. So there was visions that took place in those times. God making his will known to them. So it says in verse 11... Now, I want you to know, having noticed, you probably didn't pay any attention. I did not the first time I read it. But it up until this point, there, it is being written in the third person plural style of those characters. It says in verse 6, and they went. They went, verse 7, and when they came, and verse 8, and having passed through Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, listen to verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, so they got on a ship in order to go across. There was an isthmus, but it was hundreds of miles up and around in order to get there. So they took a ship straight across. And it says, to, so sailing straight from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. Did you catch that? Suddenly... It's now in the first person plural. It's not in the third person, they. It's in we. Who joined them in Troas? Who's writing this book? Luke. Luke joined them right there because we have the we that tells us. And if you, as you read through the book of Acts, you will find that he... He leaves them at some places and he rejoins them at others and he'll change to we. So you catch that when you're reading through Acts. And it says, and from there to Philippi, they went up to Philippi, uh, which is about 10 miles inland or so from Neapolis. And when, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So this Philippi was a Roman colony who had Roman uh, peoples in people in charge, especially the military, retired military soldiers of Rome were encouraged to go to the colonies in order so that they could populate that with Roman citizens. And the incentive that they were given was that they would not have to pay Roman taxes. So that was a pretty good incentive. And so we'll find some Roman people there in that city. We're going to meet a jailer a little further down. <clears throat> and uh, he says, uh, we remained in this city some days. 
Now, what did Paul usually do when he went to a city? Well, he scouted out the city. And the next thing he did, he found out where the synagogue was. And he went to the synagogue. And there he started and he shared the gospel with them. So he scouted out. But you know what? He couldn't find the synagogue. And since he couldn't find the synagogue, he would have come to certain conclusions. What did he understand? What does it take to establish a synagogue? Folks, you're going to go away today. You're going to know so much. Ten Jewish men to establish a synagogue. You remember when Lot, or no, when Abraham prayed to spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He started, Abraham started with 50 and says, Lord, will you destroy it for 50? Or what about for, for 40? Or don't get upset at me, Lord, but what about 35, 30? All the way down. What if 10, 10? Will you spare the city if we can find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, okay, I'll spare the city. That shows you God listens to us when we beseech him for certain things. And it wasn't bad for him to ask for this, to spare a city. We can pray for God to spare America. God, would you do something? Spare America. Bring us back to yourself. You know what? He couldn't find 10 men. That's how many people it took, 10 men, in order to have a synagogue. There was no synagogue in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there was no synagogues at that point anyway. We didn't have synagogues until after the temple were destroyed. But there was places of learning, and it became known as a synagogue. <clears throat> and that's what it means anyway, is to, to teach or to learn. And so... Uh, it says, on the Sabbath day, we went, verse 13, outside of the gate to the riverside. Now, why would he go to the river besides singing the song down by the riverside? He went to the river because if there was not 10 men to have a synagogue, then often they would have a place where Jewish people could meet. And often it was down by a river and they would have a meeting and there they could do prayers and various things with whatever Jewish people would show up. So it says, where we suppose that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman, the women, to the women who came together. There wasn't one single man there, just women. You know what Paul did? He just turned around and left because he didn't want to give the gospel to women. No. He shared the gospel with women. There is no difference between male or female, Jew or Greek, uh, slaves nor free, Jew or Gentile, in the gospel. And Paul found many women who were take prominent places in sharing the gospel. And it says there was one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple goods. Now, that tells some things about her. One, she's not in her home city. She was from Thyatira, which is back over in um, south, of Tro south of Ephesus. So if you look that up, you'll see some laps don't have Thyatira. But others do. A seller of purple. Purple Thyatira was known for their beautiful or exquisite dyes of purple. And purple for making clothing and various things. And apparently she was a businesswoman. And maybe she had opened a satellite office over in Philippi. And she was, God's secret says, who was a worshiper of God. So she was a God seeker as, as uh, Cornelius was. 
He was up in Jerusalem. He was, he was a God seeker. Also, the eunuch from Candace down in uh, Africa had come up on the day of Pentecost, and he was there that Philip went down and found this man going back to his hometown. And he shared the gospel with him. He was a God-fearer, meaning that he knew something about God. He had probably latched on to the Jewish religion, and he met with them, though he was not allowed at that point to, uh, to participate in leadership. But he could come, and he could listen, and he was a God-fearer. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So here was his first convert. And uh, after they taught her, we assume, it says, verse 15, and after she was baptized in her household as well, there were many, we don't have to assume little children. We can assume that she was not a real, you know, she could be in her 30s and 40s and have grown children. Or there were some servants she was uh, probably wealthy, so there was servants. And her household also heard and came to trust in Jesus. And when they baptized them, they baptized all of them. So her household was the first believers in... Well, I could ask you this question. This would be a great Jeopardy question. Who was the first convert recorded in the book of Acts in Europe? It was, it was Lydia at Philippi. Remember, when we go to Macedonia and cross into Greece, we are now in Europe. Uh, so <clears throat> it says that, and as we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So now Paul's bringing the light, and now he's approached by darkness. In the Old Testament, specifically, gives a prohibition about diviners, about divining, seeking spirits in order to know about the future or tell someone's fortune. It is forbidden completely. And so it says there was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That's not the Holy Spirit, folks. That is a spirit that is a demonic spirit. And he's allowing her and speaking through her in order to give her understanding of someone's future. See, it's not like uh, a carnival, a carnival fortune teller who uses just certain tricks and other kinds of things and just deception. This is something real. She could actually tell people a certain amount with a certain amount of accuracy, people's fortunes and futures because her handlers, whoever owned her, were making a lot of money off of her, uh, her trade. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servant of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, was she telling the truth? Absolutely, she was telling the truth. But look what happens. And this is kept, and this she kept up for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed. You don't want to get Paul upset. <laughs> he became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. See, he didn't say, he doesn't say that he said to the girl. He said to the spirit that's inside the girl. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it says, and it came out of her that very hour. And since the spirit left her by Paul's command, because he is of the light and it is of the darkness and he has the authority of Christ, he can command it to leave and it leaves. But it says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace uh, before the rulers. <clears throat> now, often the light is opposed when there's money involved. 
We see that in our own day. You know, it comes down to the point where we're locked down from COVID and businesses are locked down and finally they start to open things back up. And you know, casinos get to open up when the churches don't out in California. The churches are still not able unless they do it against the governor's will. There's something else going on there too. Maybe I'll have time to touch on it. It says, when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are, Gen- are Jews. These magistrates were two Romans, two Roman leaders. They were magistrates. And it says they were over the city and to make uh, judgments for the cities. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and to practice. That was that was a, a, an exaggeration. But they had to come up with something that the Romans would listen to as the Jewish leaders would have to say something to Pilate so that they could have Pilate pronounce judgment and death upon Jesus. So they made stuff up. So they were against Paul, the group of people, because of monetary reasons it began to affect them. And when People come to Christ, their lives change. And when their lives change, it begins to affect things. A man who begins to, or a woman who begins to do Bible study on their lunch hour at their business or at their factory, at times may be told, well, we've got complaints about you reading the Bible. Well, it's on my own time. It was during my lunch hour. Well, you know, we don't want it to... uh, seem to be propagating any particular religion so we we just ask you not to do that do you see how that happens it happens over and over and over I think a school teacher I'm just looking at Ellen school teacher with a bible on her desk was told to take it off because it's a bible you can't allow it to be seen by the students things like that it's a battle between light and darkness is what it is and Paul Face that. So they, uh, the crowd joined in and attacking them, verse 22, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. You've probably seen the Roman uh, fasces. It's a bundle of rods with an axe sticking out of it. And that symbolizes the authority of Rome. And they, those rods are about four feet long. And I understand those are rods that they take and they would beat their prisoners or those that had done wrong. So they beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. It's kind of like the situation of Peter in Acts 12 where he was put into prison in the inner prison with shackles and guarded by four guards round the clock. So that's what the kind of thing that we see. Uh, Now we're going to leave it there for this week. I've got some more things to say to you, but they only spent one night in jail and God gave them a miraculous delivery Deliverance, and you'll have to come next week and find out how that is. Or just go and read Acts 16, the last half, and you'll get it, okay? I encourage you to do that. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to wind up leaving them there for a whole week. So they're in prison. They're going to stay there for a whole week until we get here next Sunday. All right. You know, a very little uh, known book of the Bible, one of those minor prophets, is Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says this, and I speak, think it speaks to our day. Just listen to it, the situation that we're in. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? See, he's got a complaint before the Lord. 
After many prayers, after many prayers, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The law can say one thing, but if the leaders don't abide by the law, then it's, it's cast aside. They only bring out the law when it's a benefit to them, certain ones. And justice never seems to be done according to what the law requires. That's the situation he was in. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work. Now God speaks here. God says, look, it's quotation marks. Look among the nations and see. You're bringing a complaint against me? Then just look around and see what I see. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your day that you will not believe if told. God says, I'm going to answer. And I'm going to answer in a very awesome way. Just wait. Just look around. Keep your eyes open. Don't give up praying. Keep praying. And God's going to bring justice. We find ourselves in those kinds of situations right now. Breitbart, in a column, quotes and does a little article on uh, Justice Samuel Alito and some of the things he said. Listen to this. It was given during a speech before the Federalist Society last Thursday, and he's a Supreme Court Justice, Samuel Alito. He stated, coronavirus has, quote, highlighted disturbing trends that were already present before the virus struck. Disturbing trends. Then he goes on. Alito said that, Cases, that cases involving coronavirus restrictions have, quote, pointed up emerging trends in the assessment of individual rights. This is especially evident with respect to religious liberty. I said California still has the church locked down and won't let it, won't let it meet beyond 25 people or 10 people, whatever it is. And won't let them sing. It's Alito says, Judge Alito says, it pains me to say this, but in certain quarters, religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. Where do we have the freedom of religion? It's in the first commit of the first, I started to say commandment, but the first amendment. The First Amendment, the freedom of speech, and that is being taken away from us in so many ways. If you say what you believe, you may be uh, defriended or blocked on social media or all kinds of things can happen. Or you may be canceled so that you might get fired. Just for speaking the truth. Freedom of religion. Freedom of speech. These things. He mentioned religion or in, in particular. One more paragraph. Alito then noted cases where coronavirus restrictions that blatantly discriminated against houses of worship in California and Nevada were upheld by the Supreme Court. Now, this was before the last one got there. So we'll have to wait and see how that's going to work out. Alito stated that in both cases, the rationale was that the court should defer to the governors. I thought we had three divisions of, uh, of government. And that the, the courts were separate from the legislative and the executive branches. The governors are executive. Why should the courts defer? 
He says, Alito continued that this defer deference meant that Nevada treated casinos more favorably than houses of worship. It's happening in our day. If we're not careful, we're going to lose these freedoms that we have come to believe in and enjoy. Now, some of you are going to say, okay, Pastor Ed, you're starting to get political. No, I am not political. I'm talking about freedoms upon which this nation was founded. And we go all the way back to the pilgrims where all of these things found the foundation. And later when the Constitution was formed, other things were brought in. But it was founded upon in uh, alignment, I believe, with God's word. That's why America is like no other place on earth at this point, and some have said the last great hope of the world is America. Jeremiah says that they were in exile in Babylon, and he said, but seek, or one of the other cities later, says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for its welfare and you will find your welfare. So in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So pray for these pagan cities. Pray for the people. Pray for the leaders. And we find that in Timothy. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Jesus said, give, render to, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the honor to honor to whom honor is due, and to God to whom uh, his due. So we pray for the leaders of the people of the nation where we are. And we also seek its welfare. And if we know what is good for the nation, it says righteousness is a benefit for the nation. And sin is a disgrace. And it's more than just a disgrace. It destroys people's lives. And if we know that and we have the truth and we have the light, then we need to step up and give it. We need to be good citizens. That's why we needed to vote. That's why we need to pray for our leaders. That's why we need to pray for these elections, this election and its outcome. And I'm convinced myself that there's a great deal of fraud that went on that needs to be brought to light. Let the light of truth shine on it. And then we'll see what happens after that. God's in control, so we pray that God, but God has partnered with us that we do what he wants us to do. And in so doing, we help to bring forth his will. He's allowed us to partner with him. He listens to our prayers. And though something may be his will and purposes, if we don't pray, he won't use us in it. We won't be a part of the answer. We won't be a part of the solution. But if we pray, we can be a part of the solution. And God loves it when his people pray to him and, and seek after his face, which we did for 40 days. I have not given up on this election yet. I want God's will to be done, ever how that is, but I want... If this nation is going to be able to trust in its elections and going forward, uh, something has got to be done about the process. <clears throat> well, it was great to see you this morning. And I'm going to close with a prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed right then, right after that. So would you join with me in prayer? Lord, there's so many applications that we learn from what uh, the book of Acts and how you worked through your disciples and all who you called as new, new disciples and followers and how they affected 
their, the communities in which they went. They turned Rome upside down. They turned the world upside down. And what we see happening right now, Lord, is it seems that things that are going on has, has, has turned the truth upside down. And they're calling that which is evil good, and that which is good they call evil. We want to upright it. We want you to hear our prayers and upright it to where we have truth with its power, with your power behind it, affecting people's lives, affecting nations, affecting governments, so that we might have righteousness that would reign in the land. You said that you would, if we humbled ourselves and pray and sought your face and repented of our sins... And we have done that, or many have done that, that you would hear our prayers, you would forgive our sins. And then the last thing you said was, I will heal the land. I will heal your land. Lord, we are praying that you will heal this land. Heal this land. Let us be a part of that healing. Let us be salt and light. Let us take the gospel into the marketplace, into the workplace, into the learning places. Lord, that we might shine forth. We know we will be opposed. We know that we will be rejected. But Lord, give us courage. Give us courage. Help us to be loving and kind, but stand firm. Stand firm. That's the last thing Paul says, that we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And he concludes that section by saying, and having done all to stand, to stand. We want to stand, O Lord, firm and solid in what we believe in knowing who you are. And that we might be a blessing to this community and to this state and to these United States. And that we can send missionaries and continue to send missionaries and support them. And as they go to faraway places as a part of sharing the gospel. We give you thanks. We pray for our pastor. We pray for Lisa. We pray for all their family. For their complete recovery and healing. Guide our day and guide our week. Make us strong. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.